Cuspers is a grown-up podcast about being a kid. Sometimes that's silly, and sometimes that's heavy. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. And welcome to Cuspers, a podcast about growing up. I'm your host, Joseph Bricker, he, him, born 1995. Howdy doody, folks. We have another deep dive episode for you. And this time, we're taking a look at something I don't personally have a lot of experience with, but I think a lot of people probably do. Hopefully. And really, what's the show for if I only ever talk about things I already know about? That's right, folks. We're taking a look at Little League Baseball. I'll hop into the history of Little League in just a moment. Hang tight. Today's episode is sponsored in part by the Bedroom Water Cups. Put it away. Put it away. You have more than one in your room right now. The water is stale. It's okay. There's no judgment. Just put it away. Pick it up right now. Yes, that one. Pick it up. Go to your kitchen. Pour the water into the sink. Wash the cup. And put it away. You'll be happy when you have fresh water. And now, back to the show. Ah, baseball. America's pastime. Is that still true? I think football may have surpassed baseball in popularity. Anyway, that's not what today's episode is about. Today, we're taking a look at the great sport of baseball, as played by young people. Specifically, Little League Baseball which is a brand name, by the way. I didn't know that. There are other youth baseball organizations like American Legion Baseball, Babe Ruth League, and Pony Baseball, just to name a few. But just like Kleenex or Scotch Tape, Little League's popularity has made its name synonymous with kids' sports, specifically kids aged 9 to 12. The story of Little League begins in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, with a man named Carl Stotts. The year was 1938, and Stotts saw an opportunity. By this point, Major League Baseball was wildly popular. But there weren't a lot of formal opportunities for young people to play the sport. Young people like Stotts' nephews. So in the summer of 1938, Stotts gathered his two nephews, Jimmy and Major, great name, Major, and their friends from the neighborhood and held experimental games. Throughout the summer, Stotts had the neighborhood kids play each other, and each new game, he would adjust rules or field measurements or other specifications. After the informal season ended, he had what he needed. Stotts partnered with brothers George and Bert Bevel, Bevel, great names in the story, George and Bert Bevel, and in 1939, Little League was officially launched. The first season consisted of only three teams, all based in Pennsylvania and all sponsored by businesses, Jumba Pretzels, Lycoming Dairy, and Lundy Lumber. Great names, I know. A lot of great names. This whole story full of very good names. Little League grew gradually over the next several years. In 1940, a second league was formed, a league being a group of teams that all play each other. By 1946, that number expanded to 12 leagues, all still based in Pennsylvania. But Stotts had hit on something big, and Little League grew, and grew, 
and grew. In 1948, Little League consisted of 94 teams, no longer solely based in Pennsylvania. More and more kids wanted to play, including Katherine K. Johnston. Just a heads up, in this next little part, there's some gender play as well as what I would consider fatphobic language, but the language I'll be using is based on Kay's own accounts and self-descriptions. In 1950, or 51, there's some discrepancy in accounts, 12-year-old Kay Johnston of Corning, New York, signed up for Little League tryouts with her younger brother. Their father had taught them both how to play, and Kay loved the sport. The only problem was that Kay was a girl, and she was nervous that the men and boys wouldn't let her play. So before they went to tryouts, Kay cut her hair short and disguised herself as a boy. When asked for her name, she chose Tubby Johnston, after one of her favorite comic characters. Under the pseudonym, Kay aced her tryout and made it onto the team. She kept up the ruse for a week of practice, but she grew increasingly anxious that she would be discovered. She decided to tell on her own terms, so she informed the coaches that she was, in fact, a girl. The coaches thought about it and concluded that if she was good enough to make the team, then she was good enough to play on the team. After all, just like Airbud, there was no rule that said girls couldn't play Little League Baseball. Unfortunately, that is not the end of Kay's story. She played throughout the season, but there was pushback from parents and other teams. Looking back on it later, Kay assumed they were just mad because she was showing up their sons. She may well have been right, but nevertheless, the backlash won the day. At the end of the season, Little League instated what was known as the Tubby Rule, which barred young women from playing. And it wasn't just young women who were ostracized. Young men of color, especially black boys, faced many obstacles playing in Little League. By the 1950s, Little League as an organization was integrated but individual districts followed their own local cultural norms. In 1953, Robert Francis Morrison chartered a league in Charleston, South Carolina, comprising four teams sponsored by prominent black businesses. One of the teams, the Cannon Street YMCA team, became the first all-black team in Little League history. And in 1955, an all-star team was formed from this league, the Cannon Street All-Stars. The All-Stars were also an all-black team. Morrison entered the Cannon Street All-Stars into the Charleston City Tournament, but the other teams, who were all white, refused to play. In fact, all 55 white teams in South Carolina withdrew from the city and state tournaments in protest. By default, the Cannon Street All-Stars became the state champions. Normally, champions qualify to play in the Little League World Series. However, Little League rules also stated that teams had to play their way to champion status. And since the Cannon Street All-Stars hadn't played a single game in the qualifying tournaments, they were not allowed to compete in the World Series. The Little League organization invited Cannon Street to come watch the World Series as guests. League officials claimed it was a gesture of goodwill, saying, we're sorry you can't play, but we still want you here. Some of the players on the team, in interviews given years later, said it felt kind of insulting. Like, so you feel bad for us, but you won't let us play? Still, even though it was a bit tense, the Cannon Street All-Stars did attend the World Series as guests and were allowed to warm up in front of the crowd before becoming spectators themselves. Little League continued to grow and change for many more decades. In 1959, Stotts left the organization, feeling that it had become too corporate. In 1974, after a successful lawsuit filed by the National Organization for Women, 
on behalf of Maria Pepe. The tubby rule is repealed and girls are allowed to play. More teams from all around the world begin to participate. As of today, there are nearly 200,000 teams in more than 80 countries. This includes Little League Baseball and Softball, Intermediate League Baseball, Junior League Baseball and Softball, and Senior League Baseball and Softball. All of those are basically just different ages, age brackets. And every year, the Little League Baseball World Series is televised on ESPN. But we'll talk about that more in a second. Little League, like any institution, has a complicated history. And like any sport, it's directly tied to the cultural movements of the society in which it lives. And with all its faults, it has also brought a lot of joy. Both things are true. Coming up, I'll be talking with friend of the show, Corey Farrell, about his experience watching the Little League World Series and playing sports as a kid in general. Hang tight. Hey there, friends. Would you like a special message featured on the show? Maybe one that would go right around here? Then it sounds like you're the perfect candidate for a shout out. Just email the show at thecusperspod at gmail.com with the word shout out in the subject line. For 50 bucks, I'll say basically whatever you want. Okie dokie, that's it. Back to the show. Yeah, here we are. Now we're recording. We're in it. <laughs> hello, hello. Are you going to introduce me? I was just about to. Corey Farrell, he, him, born 1996. Corey, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Joseph. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good, good, good. So today's episode is a deep dive episode on Little League, and I never participated in Little League. I played baseball for one season. It wasn't even baseball. It was coach pitch, which you guys is technically baseball, but it was coach pitch, which was the only season I ever played. So I did Little League. And it was not really on my radar until uh, I visited you in New York fairly recently. And we watched a lot of the Little League World Series. So I would love to hear from you, Corey. How did Little League even come onto your radar? Um, I had never watched it before until this year. Um, I also didn't grow up playing baseball. I played hockey. But I did have like one half inning of t-ball. So I did hit the ball once and I got to first. And then I got really bored that I had to like wait around. And then my dad said I had to like go out in the outfield and, and wait for the ball to come. And I was like, this is not for me. I, this is too slow. But mm. I was in this fantasy draft with our dear good friend, Josh Zwick. And he decided for our fantasy league, our fantasy football league, to have the Little League World Series determine our draft order. And so I'm a very competitive person and so i got very very interested in the little league world series i had to pick a team my team was nedville which was the southwest region they're from texas and that was just a roller coaster of emotions that i still think i haven't really fully worked through so just to like really give an idea of the stakes we have a lot of what they're like 11 to 13 or 10 to 12 what is the age range of little league I have the Wikipedia pulled up. (laughs) (laughs) Let me see, let me see, let me see. From 1947 to 2005, the age limit for players was set at children who turned 13 on August 1st of that year or later. But in 2006, the age limit was loosened to include players who turned 13 after April 30th, which I think, can I cuss on this podcast? Of course you can. I think that's what fucked me <laughs> with this fucking Little League because I had Nedville, okay? Nedville was like a bunch of 12-year-old, like, sluggers, man. Like, they were so fucking good. 
we had this one pitcher and it's crazy that like as you like i don't know there's not a whole saying of like you got that dog in you or you don't like that kind of like competitive advantage and you can tell by their eyes and by like the style of their haircuts if they are like one of those dogs or not and i swear to god my texas pitcher was a fucking dog and he was just striking everyone out left and right and then we played this team from california and we beat them and and california ended up winning the whole situation so that that was that that kind of um destroyed me a little <laughs> bit but um <laughs> because in little league it's like i don't know how much you did for like the history section but there's 10 us teams 10 international teams and they compete and you have to it's like you lose two games and then you're out of the competition which i think is bullshit because we beat california and california should have been out and texas should have kept going and led our team to victory and my number one draft order in my fantasy league. But because of the two uh, loss situation, <laughs> California was able to come back and beat her ass. And I was just like, these guys are all 13. This is like 13 year olds versus 11 year olds. And it was bullshit. There was one guy who was like 6'2. I was like, what the hell is going on? So, I honestly, it was like, I think it was like a month and a half ago. But I'm still like, I haven't thought about it, but, like, man, you talking about it really just gets me going again. Because the kid, like, he could have walked into a bar. The kid, the kid could have ordered a drink, and no one would have said a word. And this, like, it was But just, you beat him the first time, so what California, happened the second time? Well, I figured out later that California had the stomach flu, <laughs> which was not, <laughs> I don't think that's what, um, <laughs> had us beat him, but, like, it definitely helped, I think. And, but man, like, <laughs> what a run. Nedville, it was their first time in the Little League World Series. They made it so far. They had these really cool orange jerseys. I'm very proud for them. And I hope next year they come back and win it all. That's, that's all I have to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I have more to say. It's a longer podcast, but. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm literally crying. <laughs> <laughs> you were there with me. Yeah, you, I, not for the end. You watched yeah. me go through this. Okay, do you want to tell our listeners how crazy I was during this whole situation? Because you were staying with me while I this think was they happening. just heard. I think they just heard how crazy you were during this whole situation. Okay. 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 <laughs> right. Um keep oh, in mind, man. so these are like ten to thirteen year olds who are on who are on yeah. ESPN. Who are on ESPN <laughs> and the umpires are volunteer umpires. So they're calling bullshit calls the entire time. It's, I'm totally fine with there being volunteer umpires who are not very good doing this situation, but do not have it on ESPN. If you have it on ESPN, I think of it as a professional 12-year-old <laughs> baseball league. And I think the calls should be called that way. It was bullshit. Strikes when there should have been balls, balls when there should have been strikes. It was a tragedy how Nedville got fucked during this situation. How how do you, in your heart, in your soul, grapple with the fact that you are so heated over a game that's being played with children? I feel the most alive <laughs> I've ever felt in maybe years. I don't know. We just went through a pandemic, and this was this was something that really, I was like, okay, we're living again. All of us are living again. I'm living, I'm feeling, I'm breathing, I'm hurting. Yeah, I'm just, I I love the effort that Nedville put up. They had a whole, like, parade in their town for them. That was really great. But I don't think that – I feel like if that 6'2", like, pitcher from California isn't juicing, I don't know <laughs> He's who, 13. Because that guy 
was this very kid well. is 13 it was crazy yeah and he's got a whole life ahead of him and I, it sucks that he peaked <laughs> oh no he cannot do anything better than what he did <laughs> he had okay also in the championship game that i i kind of was watching kind of not watching because i was crying <laughs> throughout it because my team wasn't in it but california that guy the 6-2 goliath hit a home run I, he won the mm. game he won the game off, off of his hit and was just like screaming, yelling, running through the bases. And I was just like, fuck you, dude. You should not be in this tournament. And if he ends up or his parents or any of any of these Little League parents come to this podcast, I apologize for my language. I do know that they're just kids. But man, for a while, it felt so real for me. And it's still really in the pit of my stomach. Can you imagine being 13 years old and having your hockey games put on national TV? Yeah, that would have been freaking awesome. That would have been so cool. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I wouldn't have won. I wasn't very good. But my brothers won. They were really good. I mean, there was a, uh, I think, a live stream element as we were getting mm-hmm. older. Where, like, the other moms who couldn't make the games could watch. But it wasn't on any network TV stations. It's just, like... It's on ESPN, and we can't even bet on it, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, I under again, I understand that they're 12 <laughs> and 13 years old, but I want to put $10 down on California. I was like, come on. I, I want to put $20 down on Nedville. It was a lot. It was a lot for me. Maybe if you can tell, I don't have a ton going on <laughs> right now. <laughs> and so this uh, really got me a lot of hope and then a lot of, uh, I mean, uh, depression. Depression. I, I, I felt very depressed. After this, uh, and I don't know if I can watch it again. Oh man, because I, I was I was just so heartbroken throughout it. I was pacing in my small apartment. It was we were jumping up and mm-hmm. down. We had mm-hmm. a whole and just to be clear, you were yeah. randomly assigned Nedville, correct? Well, no. Okay, so I wanted the team. I think it was an international team, Chinese mm-hmm. Taipei, and they were so good. And there was a whole situation where we had to like text our picks in at like five p.m. California time because. Josh is from California. So I was like mixed up because I'm on on Eastern. And so I missed that. And then I got Nedville as my second pick because I thought Texas, that would be good. They play all year long. You know, there's no real snow. Mm-hmm. I wanted a team that could play year round. You know, I feel like they could have been ready, more ready than others. And I'm, I mean, it was a good pick. I got fourth in my fantasy draft and I'm, I'm 0-3 in that league. And so um, <laughs> obviously it worked out really Oof. well for me. Yeah, it was not great. I'm just taking L's. I'm taking L's right now in September. Well, let me ask you. So this is a little bit tangential, but related to what we were talking about. I would love to hear a little bit about what you think playing sports as a tween slash teenager, what that brought to your life. And then also, I mean, and that can be in regards to like how you have perceived it seems to have affected these uh, young people on uh, in the Little League World Series. I mean, I feel like when you're a kid, it's like the first time you're kind of in a high-pressure situation. Mm-hmm. Like a, a safe high-pressure situation, I guess. Where it's like, you can rise or you can fall or you're going to stand up to the moment. Like, if you score, like, a final goal in one of those, like, playoffs or championships, like, you're going to you're gonna remember that for the rest of your life. And it's going to kind of make you <laughs> the person that you end up being. Hmm. <laughs> and so, I don't know if that's true. But it does, like, it gives you confidence. And you get to learn how to be a team player. I don't know. It's it was very it was a huge part of my life growing up and watching these little leaguers now go through the the drama of this tournament. It, I feel like it's a lot. It's a lot for a 12, 13 year old to be on ESPN. 
I don't know. Did you grow up doing any of that? Not really. I I did some sports growing up. Um, I did like the pretty standard ball sports when I was like really little. Like first grade, I did uh, coach pitch. And then I think like first, second and third grade, I played soccer, but I was never very good. Um, And then I started having like some medical problems around uh, like third, fourth grade. And so then I didn't really do a lot of sports. I also did like dive team for a little bit growing up. Oh, right. Yeah, but no, sports was not like a huge part of my life growing up. And I'm from the Mm -hmm. South too. So like growing up in the South is like a whole other situation with sports. I think it's just so ingrained in the culture growing up. It's like you, you're going to play sports. Everyone plays sports. Yeah. This is how you make your relationships that are going to take you all the way through high school. Yeah, absolutely. And I am curious, and this is like a bigger conversation and I don't want to like hold you accountable. I just want to like open up this conversation. But I think like in general, we are having a cultural conversation right now about like toughness and what it means to like not hold on to ideas of the past that are maybe harmful, but also being mindful of not swinging so far in the other direction that we're not giving young people tools they need to go through the world. Mm. And I think it's a very nuanced topic. And so with that, like with sports, as you were describing, on one hand, uh, it teaches you to be a team player. There's a lot of things that are very positive that go along with it. But at the same time, like I think there are parts of it that can be very detrimental. And I would love to hear more about your own experience uh, like with that in mind, because I know that you have had some negative experiences as far as uh, sporting grows up as well. So when you look back, is there a single stronger image or is it a complex thing? Um, I feel like it's always a mixed bag. Yeah. You know, it's like, because also you can't talk about youth sports without talking about the parents of youth Mm -hmm. sports. And they kind of create, I think, the mixed bag. All the kids want to have fun. They want to play with their friends. But when the fathers or the mothers or whoever is pressurizing the situation even more than it already is, then that's when I think you can get into trouble. And it can become detrimental. We had this one kid on my team who would, his dad would make him drink a Red Bull before hockey Mm. games. And this kid was like eight years old. And it was just like, he felt like he needed to do it so his kid could be fast on the ice. And I was just like, that's like a lot. That's, that's, he's eight years old and it's already kind of starting a, a downward trending slope. I don't know what he's doing now, but yeah, there is like those kind of, situations that you get into with these kind of aggro-aggressive men who want their kids to be a superstar and what pressure that puts on the kids and then also just the kind of environment um, where that is more or less deemed okay, or at least it did when I was growing up. Yeah, for so. sure. I I think there is a lot of like masculinity wrapped up in it as well, but I've definitely seen moms do the same yeah. thing to their children as well, especially I have a lot of friends who were dancers growing up and Dance is a sport. I'll say it here. Mm. I'll be brave. I'll mm-hmm. say dance is a sport. Um, it's an incredibly athletic I'm with thing. you. And, and I think it's the same thing. Parents like really, really pushing their kids sometimes uh, in an unhealthy way. Yeah, because way. it's about like social clout. Yeah. yeah, it's like social. I have like like that reality TV show, like Dance Moms. Mm-hmm. Like that's like basically what I went through, but just with ice. You know, it's like everyone is like kind of jockeying for their own kind of social hierarchy throughout it and the kids are kind of blind to that but then you kind of get that subconscious sentiment or feeling that there's there's more going on than just like having fun with your friends yeah and i i guess the simple answer is that it's all about balance but because i can understand Mm -hmm. the impetus that like i do think that in order to grow we need to be uncomfortable and we need to push ourselves and that sometimes Mm -hmm. you know we don't want to 
especially as a young person, like it's comfortable to be comfortable. Uh, and so sometimes you do need that mm-hmm. parental figure, that outside force, like pushing you to be better than you thought you could be. But there is a line where it starts to be too much. Yeah, especially when we get into like coaching youth sports too. It's like the coaches are usually either a parent of one of the kids on the team or someone who like is very interested in coaching youth sports. And then whoever is like super interested in coaching youth sports usually has something else going on. They don't feel uh, valued enough in their work position or something. So they have to take it out on the kids or I don't know. But I had some, some coaches that it felt like it was life or death and I'm 12 years old playing in a youth tournament. I'm just like, okay. But I do think like with sports parents aside and societal pressures aside, like it is good to learn how to win and learn how to lose in a controlled safe place because that feeling of, okay, you lost a game for the first time. How does that make you feel? And then it opens up the conversation of you can talk about how you're feeling with your parents and how to work through that. And so when you do grow up and there is, things that don't go your way or, or how you had planned them, it, it's, it's, uh, you learn an, an ability to cope and to strive forward throughout it. So I, I do think it's a, it's a mixed bag of the whole thing. And going back to little league, like how much pressure are these parents putting on their kids because they are on ESPN because they are playing against uh, people from Chinese Taipei or, or Russia, you know, it's, it's like, it's just interesting. Uh, there's definitely like good things and bad things about them being on ESPN, but I never, I never grew up in a in a sporting community that went that far where it was like we were televised. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's got to be a lot of pressure. It's got to be really fun to be on TV for the first time, but it also probably is a lot of pressure because, like, what if you miss a pitch or you miss a a fly ball or something and you start crying because you're 11, and then like the whole world can see you do that and your friends can see you do that and you go back to school and you know it's yeah. like there's there's a bunch of I don't know, landmines with all of that. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a complicated topic for sure. But I think it's exactly what you said. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. There are really great things about it. And there are maybe some things that are sticky that need to be looked at closely. Uh, so you really think you're not going to watch the Little League World Series next year? I don't know. They'll probably draw me back in by the time mm-hmm. it starts. It was a ride. And I hope you are around to to share in that with me again. I, I got to be honest, <laughs> it, was, uh, it, it was pretty riveting. It was pretty riveting to watch this. It was amazing. It was amazing. What a what an amazing tournament. The highs, the lows, the drama. Me taking it very like way too seriously at all times. It was just it was such a it was such a glorious traumatic week and a half for me. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well thanks for sharing it with us Corey. We will see you next year for next season. <laughs> Sounds good. I guess I'm your resident Little League correspondent. Uh, oh, yeah. Correspondent mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, I can't wait. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye, right. bud. Have a good one, buddy. <laughs> See ya. Thank you so much for listening to another Deep Dive episode. If you liked what you heard, please give the show a five star rating and review. It'd be super cool if you did. I'd also like to thank Jean-Claude and the Eclairs for the use of their song, All It Ever Was, as the intro and outro of the show. All other music is by Calvin Adams. You can find all those folks' stuff anywhere you buy or stream music. Show art is by the up-to-snuff John Charles Bricker. I've been Joseph Bricker, and I'll be back next week with a new episode for you. In the meantime, remember to keep on kidding around. Be well.